0: Chapter 2, Foster Care I was received into care on the 18th August, 1971, initially placed with a short-stay foster family in the home of a Mr. and Mrs. West. However, as Margaret never returned, on the 21st of February, 1972, I was then housed permanently with Mrs. Rose Collier. We lived at 45 Duncan Road in Longsight, an inner suburb of Manchester. The Colliers were a white couple who lived in a red brick terrace with a pink blossom tree in the little front yard and a rabbit hutch in the back. It was a three-bedroom house, occupied not just by the Collier's six children, but also about eight foster kids. I loved Rose Collier very much. She was unfailingly good to me and a very remarkable woman for taking on so many children. My foster dad, Arthur, was very strict, but Rose always stuck up for me, and I called her mum. One of my special memories is eating the apple peel every time she made her apple pie. I stayed close to Mum all my life, right until the day she died at the age of 90. For quite some time, I was the only black child fostered by the Colliers. But I don't remember any racism. Perhaps inevitably, the foster kids were treated differently to the Colliers' own children. But I never felt like I was treated any differently because I was black. In fact, as I was there for such a long time, overall, I was probably treated better than the other foster kids, they came and went as if through a revolving door. Sometimes I felt like I had a new brother or sister every week. All the girls in our house loved me, treating me like their baby. I suppose I was rather cute in those days with my large Afro and cheeky smile. Mum had a big silver cross pram, so another boy named James and I would be pushed around in it by our sisters. Of all the girls fostered by the Colliers, I was especially close to Jane, Christine, Bernadette and Cheryl. Boys and girls slept in separate bedrooms, all in bunk beds, on which I remember bouncing around. Mum was never too pleased about that, as she'd previously made them up very nicely. The boys' room had handmade planes hanging from the ceiling, all made from little toy kits. It was a tight squeeze for everyone in that small house, but we muddled through together and made sure nothing went to waste. We even reused Dad's old vests as a duster, We often played with the children who lived opposite, Fixie and Annette. They were black, too, so I never had any problems with their parents. Fixie was my best friend. He and I always rode our bikes together. I had a hand-me-down BMX, but he was a lucky boy and had a new model. When I asked Mum if I could have a skateboard like Fixie, Rose had to explain to me that she and my father couldn't afford one. On hot days, I can remember popping bubbles in the hot tar on the road it's amusing to look back on what constituted fun as a child. Every Sunday, we went to Bethshan Tabernacle Church, which had a gospel choir. I can remember singing, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. The cracks in the pavement were great for playing marbles. In fact, a girl who lived down the street had a massive collection of marbles, including the big ones, which we always called daubers. With so many children, every day was an adventure, especially when, as a very special treat, We had a holiday in Wales. In Landudno, I remember running on the pier and playing in the arcades. There were donkey rides too, and whenever we lifted up pebbles on the beach, we'd watch little sea creatures wriggling around underneath. I'd put them in my bucket of seawater to get a closer look before releasing them back into the wet sand where they burrowed down deep. We moved to another part of Manchester on Upper Brook Street. By contrast, this house was huge with one living room, one parlor, six bedrooms, and two cellars, it truly seemed like a mansion to me. People could never find me. I was forever hiding away to avoid getting told off. While living here, my older brothers taught me to ride a bike with disastrous results, like pretending to hold on to me and laughing as I tumbled to the ground, scraping my knees, chuckling away to themselves as tears streamed down my face. Mum and Dad, always believed that we should learn to play a musical instrument. We even had a piano in the parlor. I can remember sitting on the stool with my legs dangling and plonking the keys. I always remember dad shouting down the stairs, stop that bloody racket. I have to admit I wasn't very good at this and didn't have the patience to learn because I just wanted to be outside playing with my mates. We had a huge garden With towering walls, it sometimes felt like I was night training in a castle. We would often camp out in the garden with makeshift tents from old bedsheets. It really was an adventure. Having pretend sword fights with my brothers and rescuing my sister, the damsel in distress, as I was the hero. But all heroes need feeding, and Mum would kindly oblige. Like our personal chef bringing us the finest mouth-watering sandwiches and the most luxurious hot chocolate anyone has ever tasted. Sometimes we would be out there just chatting for hours and devising our next escapade. My older siblings would also tell gruesome ghost stories, the sort that would send a shiver down your spine, give you nightmares for days. The sort that would make you run inside and dive under the covers for protection, fearful of looking under the bed in case something was lurking under there. Our back garden led onto a cul-de-sac There were around eight houses, and they all looked the same. New build, smaller council houses. We played out back with all the children from the cul-de-sac, the Baxters, the O'Connors, the Sings, and the Wheelers. We were renowned for our antics. No front door was sacred. We were the best knockers and runners in town. Thankfully, we always had things to do to take my mind off stuff, like playing rounders with my siblings. Christmas was an especially pleasant distraction, because it was always a big event at the Colliers. We would decorate the house with colorful banners and lots of pretty lights. Dad always seemed to get the task of checking every single tiny individual bulb to see which one had blown. Lucky him, right? Mum and Dad must have also spent hours wrapping our presents and finding places to hide them. And equally, we'd spend hours looking for them in cupboards, wardrobes, and under beds, In the daytime, when no monsters might be lurking, of course. To be honest, we were smart cookies and nearly always found them, managing to sneak a peek at what Santa had brought us. That jolly old fellow couldn't get anything past us. I can actually remember waking early on Christmas mornings to find a pillowcase at the bottom of my bed, laden with gifts galore. Looking back, Mum and Dad didn't really have much money, but they really tried to make us all happy and they did so in spades. By this point, I was now attending St. Chrysostom's Primary School. It was a single-story building that had an assembly hall in the middle, with all the classrooms around it. Nothing could intimidate me, though, as I was friends with the cock of the school, Stephen Stonehouse. He would protect me from the other kids as I was seen as the Joker, always causing mischief. Loud and opinionated, I would often make the teachers squirm with daft or inappropriate questions, like one time asking a teacher why she wanted to grow a beard. It obviously didn't go down very well, and I was sent off to see the headmistress. Her and I almost became like family as I frequented her office so often. I can also recall playing a practical joke on another teacher. We had been doing craft that day, so I decided to put some glue on his chair. When he rose up, his perch had lift off. The class found it hilarious. The teacher, well, he couldn't quite see the amusing side of it, unfortunately. Some people need a humor transplant, though. My mum was promptly called to see the headmistress. They were also not exactly impressed, to put it mildly. I still had the majority vote. My classmates outnumbered them, and that was enough for me. Sadly, I was grounded for a month, and as punishment had to mop the kitchen floor daily. After school closed, My siblings and I used to climb over the railings to play hide and seek in the grounds. We never got found out. On the cusp of hitting double digit years, I can also remember having this huge crush on Joanne Wheeler, a beautiful brunette and the hippest chick on the block. Sadly though, it wasn't meant to be. My heart was broken because of good old Jay since, you know what they say, mates before dates. Growing up, I was a nuisance, always up to no good. With other kids, just for fun, I tied string around pieces of furniture making an obstacle course with other household objects. Of course, we turned off all the lights to make it a real challenge. Sometimes, though, I just got into trouble for simple things like sliding down the banister. One time, my brother Porik and I were standing at the window firing ball bearings at the traffic with a catapult. One of the guys we hit called the police, who took us away and left us in the cells at Long Sight Police Station. The police would never have found us, though, had it not been for one of my other brothers named Richard. He told them we were hiding upstairs, the little grass. Despite everything, I kept my courage and was fearless. Throughout my childhood, whenever I made trouble, I always assumed that eventually I'd managed to get out of it. Looking back, it's amazing how often that actually ended up being the case. I won a bet on the Grand National. I wanted to keep the money, but Mum made me share it out with all my brothers and sisters. I didn't mind this too much because we were used to sharing and all had responsibility. When Mum and Dad went out to bingo, the older kids looked after their younger siblings. I enjoyed scrubbing the Formica table and chairs because I knew this made my parents happy. Other times, we helped Mum and Dad at the laundrette stuffing all the laundry into large pillowcases to carry everything home. I have in my possession a report from Social Services about my life with the Colliers around this period. I am described as an energetic half-caste boy, which says a great deal about Social Services' attitude to mixed-race kids in the 70s. It goes on to state, however that the warm family atmosphere that prevails at the Collier's seems to be gradually helping Christopher to overcome his deeply disturbed past. Upon reflection, it's probably this deeply disturbed past which explains my long-term anger. Although thankfully, the older I've grown, the more chilled I've become. I hate getting angry with people. I was probably about seven years old when I first said to myself, one day, I'm going to have my own family. This remains something which I have never stopped thinking. It's a defining belief in my life, which has made me who I am. This need for a family is probably explained by the fact that I never knew my real mom. In some way, throughout my entire childhood, I suppose I was waiting for Margaret to come back. Either way, I always knew that I wanted to have a family. When my foster dad died of cancer, we moved again this time to Nicholas Road in Chorlton. I was now attending Dewice High School, where I was always causing trouble and getting into fights. One of my school reports stated that I was difficult to teach because I was very much an individual. However, I wasn't a bad lad. If anything, I just had too much energy for school. One of the other school reports commented that sitting still is an ordeal, which sounds about right. Secondary school, however, was very tough. At Ducey High School, there was a lot of violence. One of my teachers even got raped, although it's hard now to remember all the details. I just tried to keep my head down, staying away from trouble as I was fed up with always getting told off. After finishing my GCSEs, I left school in July 1986 and secured a place on the youth training scheme to learn my trade as a carpenter. This meant that I could afford to leave home. I said goodbye to Rose and moved into a flat in Ancoats where the rent was only two pounds. It was sad, of course, to be leaving Rose, who had provided me with the only stability I'd ever known. And for sure, I knew that I would miss her cooking. My favorite had always been chicken chazar, and, of course, that apple pie. No one ever cooked those dishes better than mum. Rose, too, was sorry to see me go. After all, she'd raised me but it was time to make a life for myself, and the world was my oyster.